1 Samuel chapter 2 today as we move into chapter 2. This series has been the life of Samuel, but it should be, uh, to this point, the life of Hannah, because she's been the focal point and the person of, of the story. And so these are really her last words as she gives this prayer of praise to the Lord. As a matter of fact, uh, she is mentioned in verse 21 of chapter 2, the, for the last time in the Bible. So her name appears nowhere else in the scripture. Uh, so we see her here and uh, learn from her example. I've titled this Hannah's Praise to God because in these verses, as Ron read them to us, that's exactly what uh, she does. And that's why we sang the songs that we did this morning, especially this last song, uh, as we uh, sing some of the attributes of God and about the Lord and his name and so forth. Uh, Matthew Henry said, praise is our rent. We are unjust if we do not pay it. <laughs> I think that's exactly right. We owe God praise. It's the rent for being here and for being alive. On the front of your bulletin, as a matter of fact, there's a verse that says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing to the name of the Lord most high. That's what Hannah did, and that's what we should do this morning also. Let me remind you that on Wednesday nights, we're uh, memorizing Psalm 100, just a short psalm, five verses, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, uh, all ye lands. And uh, then we are seeing videos of hymn writers, those who wrote some of the most well-known hymns that we sing uh, from Sunday to Sunday, and uh, we had our first one last week, and we'll be doing that uh, through the next couple months, and you'll enjoy it. I hope that you come and, and uh, are with us for those. It'll help you to be able to praise the Lord and uh, realize that when we sing these songs, like Hannah is doing here, we are praising the Lord. Hannah had two problems, if you remember, in her life, barrenness and bitterness. Uh, verse 2 of chapter 1, we're told that she had no children. She was barren, and that uh, was a burden to her and to her husband, uh, though he had two wives. Uh, and yet, uh, that, that was uh, hard on her. And then the bitterness, mentioned in verse 10, came about because of that and then because of the criticism that she received for being barren and, and the kind of being a, a certain kind of outcast a little bit, even in Israel, uh, uh, for that way and from her enemies and from, of course, uh, Penina, uh, Elkanah's other wife. So we find in chapter 2 uh, a very good statement, and Hannah prayed. Of course, this is the second time that we see Hannah praying. Uh, the first time, of course, is uh, her prayer uh, to the Lord in chapter 1, that if you will look upon your handmaid and give me a child, I will give him back to you. And we have that beautiful prayer in chapter 1. So most of what we see of Hannah, most of what she's doing is either participating in the sacrificing at the feast days, which she's supposed to do, or... Uh, praying to the Lord. Uh, that's a great testimony uh, to have, isn't it, of, of someone. So here in her prayer, she praises God. That's what these 10 verses are about. It's much like the other praise prayers of women in the Bible. You remember Miriam, 
Moses' sister after they crossed the Red Sea. Uh, she stood on the other side of the Red Sea, and we have that half of chapter where she praised the Lord for how he brought them out of Egypt. You remember Deborah, the judge, after she conquered her enemies, and then uh, she praises the Lord for giving her the strength and power to do that. Elizabeth, the, father, the, the mother, I mean, of, of uh, John the Baptist, uh, given to her in her old age, and in Luke chapter 1, she praises the Lord, and then, of course, there's Mary and uh, her prayer and thanks to God. So uh, these women, these examples that we have in the Bible uh, are, were women of prayer and women of praise to God. Let me do a little exercise with you in the book of Psalms. Uh, hold your place here and then go with me uh, to Psalm 100 where uh, we're memorizing. But I want, I want to, you to get the feel that this book of Psalm is written for the praise of God, and that's what we should be doing uh, when we go to the Lord. I want you to do this with me, and, and we're just going to skip like a rock over the Psalms beginning in 100 and read the first verse. Follow with me as I do that. 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Psalm 101. I will sing of the mercy and judgment unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. 102, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come unto thee. 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, bless his holy name. 104, bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great, thou art clothed with honor and majesty. 105, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. 106, praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. 107, quite a ways over. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, his mercy endureth forever. 108, oh, give, oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even unto are with my glory. 109, hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. 110, which is, by the way, messianic. So you have a messianic psalm uh, in here where uh, we have quoted in the New Testament, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand and take I, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. But then go on with 111. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. 112. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. 113. Praise ye the Lord. Praise, uh, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And then 114 is a historic psalm kind of like that messianic psalm, so skip with me quickly to 115. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and thy truth's sake. And a few more, 116, I love the Lord, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications. 117, oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him, all ye people. And then finally, uh, 118, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, because his mercy endureth forever. 
Do you get the idea that psalms are written to praise the Lord? <laughs> that that's uh, a great reason why we have that book, and I think you should get that from them as uh, that is what the psalms major on and what most of them are about. What is the lesson to be learned? We have one real source of help in this life. It's not yourself. It's not other people. It's not other things. We have one great source of help and strength in this life, and that is the Lord himself. And so we have one real object of praise because of that. And our real object of praise, of course, is the one Lord who helps us. You know, Paul said when he was standing on Mars Hill and among a number of unbelieving uh, uh, Greek uh, scholars, he said of the Lord, in him we live and move and have our being. He was praising the Lord even in that setting, saying everything I am and everything about me and everything that happens to me is of the Lord. And I recognize that. Now, I know that we live in a broken world. And people have a hard time understanding why bad things then happen uh, to good people and wh why terrible things happen in this world. We live in a, a world that human beings brought sin into. We brought the brokenness into this world. And God is sovereign in that he is dealing with that and using that to bring it to a proper end. We ought to praise him even for that, that he can do such a thing. And he does that by providence. He does that by working out the circumstances in your life, in my life, in histories, in nations, in, in peoples, and he brings things to a conclusion the way he wants because he's sovereign, and he does this through his providence. One of the great ways that we see this is in prophecy. After all, how can God speak about things that are going to happen hundreds and thousands of years in the future and have them come to pass exactly as he said they would if God doesn't have providential care over all of history. If you're following our Old Testament reading uh, schedule that we hand out, the other night we were reading in, in 1 Kings 13 where uh, Solomon's son Rehoboam was taking over and then the rebel Jeroboam was splitting off the other ten tribes. And so a prophet comes out of nowhere and prophesies to Jeroboam that uh, God will judge him. And the prophet uses the name of Josiah, a king that will not be born for three centuries and uses his name, and then later we see King Josiah, the young king, come and uh, set things straight that Jeroboam uh, messed up. How could that happen? And how could the prophet say that if God can't work things like that out? By the way, the same thing happens in Isaiah 45.1, where Isaiah uses the name Cyrus, the king of the Persians, who will not come to power until after Daniel's day, and he's speaking about it 300 years before that. And so we see from these examples and many more how God works things out. I have an outline of these 10 verses, and I appreciate Ron reading them because that's a mouthful <laughs> to read uh, all 10 of these, of these verses. But we have to look at this, of course, and try to anyway and understand it the way that Hannah was using this to praise the Lord. So I have some thoughts about her praise here. If you'll go back to chapter 2 with me and verse 1, first of all, in these first two verses, we see Hannah's reason for her praise. And notice that 
as we read these, the first verse speaks about things having to do with Hannah herself, and then the second verse speaks about things of God. So she says, here's the first reason. She said, my heart rejoiceth in the Lord. And secondly, my horn is exalted in the Lord. And thirdly, my mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. In other words, Hannah can give praise to God because she has a rejoicing heart, because she has an exalted position when it speaks of the horn, meaning the, the position that God has given me, and she has an opened mouth. God has blessed her and allowed her to speak. As a matter of fact, she may be referring to her very prayer where she prayed just to herself and quietly because she was in such distress. Now she can praise God openly and out loud with her prayer. And so she can praise the Lord because her heart is rejoicing. And God has, has given her a position that she can be thankful for, and her mouth can be open and speak things of God. You can do that, you know. Do you have a rejoicing heart? Uh, do you have an exalt, a position God's given you, uh, an open mouth to praise Him? And then secondly, in verse 2, she's, she gives reasons why God can be praised, and she'll give many more. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our rock. In other words, number one, God is holy. We just sang the song, holy, 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 and that's why I put it just before the message this morning. God is incomparable. There is nothing and no one and no God that can be compared to him. And thirdly, God is trustworthy. There's no rock like our rock. He will do what he says he will do. Let me give you a reference, a cross-reference, and I'll read it to you. 2 Samuel 22, verses 1 through 4, David is writing. 2 Samuel 22 and 1 says this, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my rock. In him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. So you see, as God blesses the characters of the Scripture that know the Lord, they praise Him in such a way, and we should too. I think that these two things that we see in verses 1 and 2 are, are the, the perfect balance for which God created us. God is the Creator, the Holy One of all, and He created human beings to praise Him. And when human beings are doing it this way, as Hannah is, or as we read that David did, then they're doing what they're created to do. Adam was fellowshipping with God in the garden and praising the Lord. That's why God created him. That's why he was made, and he was made to do that. You are made in God's image and likeness. And if a person is not praising God, and obviously there are many people in the world who do not, then they're not doing what they're created to do. They're out of sync, you might say, and that's too bad. You know, the, John wrote again in the book of 1 John that we have fellowship with God, 
as believers through Jesus Christ and how he reconciled us back to God. Again, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then a few verses down. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and that must mean God with us and us with God, one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, is cleansing us from all sin. What a fellowship, what a, what a time that is. Let me say this, you, you have a reason to praise God. If you're sitting here this morning thinking, I don't, you don't know what's going on in my life, you don't know the troubles I'm going through, I'm telling you, you have a reason to praise God, even in your troubles, which can bring glory and honor to Him if you'll let them. I think of Paul and Silas in the jail, following his call, following his call over into Macedonia, and they go and they preach and people are getting saved, and what, does, what do they get out of it? 39 lashes on the back and strapped to a, a rock wall in chains in a dungeon. Do they have reason to praise God? And the text says what? At midnight, they sang praises unto the Lord. Now, if they can do that, having received that of the Lord, you can too in your situation, no matter what it is. So here's Hannah's reason for praising what she has and what God is, who God is. Secondly, in, in just a single verse, in verse 3, I call it Hannah's advice to praise. You better praise God, and here's my advice. Number three, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge. By him actions are weighed. So here's her advice. I wonder if this advice is to Penina. I wonder if this is to her single enemy that accused her before God and had a wrong uh, uh, knowledge of what God was doing in anybody's life. Or is this perhaps to the Philistines, the, 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 the enemies of Israel at the time? Two things. Put away your pride. Don't be arrogant. Pretty good advice. And you know what I noticed uh, about both of those statements? They have to do with the mouth. Notice right at the beginning of verse 3, talk no more, so exceeding proudly. And secondly, let not arrogancy come out of your mouth, because our tongue gets us in trouble. Our tongue does things that it should not do. And yet, we have to control this pride that we have. We have to control this arrogancy that we all have that we're born with as part of our sinful nature. So who are you before God? You're God's creature. You're, you're someone made by God. What do you have in this world that God did not give you? You have nothing that God did not give you. The rain falls on the just and the unjust in this world. Everything that we eat, every, every night that we sleep, every day that the sun comes up is given to us by God. And so we should praise him. Put away your pride thinking that uh, you have no reason to praise him. Don't be arrogant. You know, uh, the Bible often uses the, the phrase, the heathen raged. 
The people imagined a vain thing. Rage is often a word to describe those who shake their fist in God's face and saying, I don't have to believe in you. I don't have to do what you say. I don't have to follow you. Their rage. I think Hannah here calls it arrogancy to put that kind of thing in your mouth. And why should you put away pride and arrogancy? Because the rest of the verse says, see the little word for or because... The Lord's a God of knowledge. In other words, God knows you. God knows everything about you. God knows the good and the bad. Someday everything you are will be told at the judgment of God. And not only that, but he weighs the actions of all of us. He weighs them in the balance. Psalm 90, which is a psalm, that's Moses' psalm, uh, Psalm 90 in verse 8 says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Everything about us and everything that we do, God sees openly. It's in the light of his countenance. So we need to be careful. This week, I thought we had two illustrations of of how people shake their fist in, in God's face without thinking of what God knows. I don't know if you saw when uh, Russell Vaught was being uh, interviewed this week for the Office of Budget and Management, uh, but in something he had written some time before, he, he wrote the phrase, Muslims do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ. He's a born-again Christian. He's writing that because it's the truth and it, it, it's what he knows. And so here's Bernie Sanders, a senator, a man who wanted to be the president of the United States, saying that is Islamophobic, that is discriminatory, it's hateful, and it's intolerant. A man that wanted to be our president, saying to say that Jesus Christ is God's son and the only way to God, you cannot, and I mean, he was red in the face. I don't know if you saw him say it. The other thing I just read was that in, in uh, Washington, D.C., uh, from, from June 9 to 11, I think it was, they had Capital Pride Alliance Parade, uh, meaning for gay pride. And McDonald's in Washington, D.C., used fry boxes with a rainbow on them to uh, contribute to it and McDonald's said, this is a fun way to show your support for the LGBTQ community when you buy McDonald's fries. Here are, here are people and companies and the rest shaking their hands in God's uh, uh, face, raging against God and what he said. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. And that's what will happen. So be careful, Hannah says, and gives her advice to praise. And then thirdly, Hannah's God in praise. The, lo the, the, the largest part of our text here in verses 4 through 8. This is very typical, again, uh, in these verses 4 through 8, as Ron read them to us a minute ago. Very typical of the, of the Psalms, very typical of the other praise passages. We come before the Lord in reverence. Let me read a few statements, some out of the Psalms. I'll begin in Hebrews 12, though, where the writer of Hebrews ends that great chapter saying, wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace 
whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And Psalm 2, again, that one that said, The heathen rage, and, the, and he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. Verse 11 says, Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son, lest he be angry with thee, and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Psalm 46, 10 be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. And Psalm 100 and verse uh, 4, as we're memorizing on Wednesday night, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Over and over again in the Bible we have this. I want you to notice in our text that the last thing that is said in verse 3, just before we begin verse 4, is the word actions. By him actions are weighed. And immediately following that we have some actions <laughs> that God weighs. Well, I'm going to call them in our outline his providential actions, secondly his preservative actions by his preservation, and then his creative actions. And these are reasons why we should praise. So look at, with me first in verses 4 and 5 again of, his, of providential actions that God weighs. I'll read them again. The bows of the mighty men are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that are full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren hath borne seven, and she that hath many children is waxed feeble. And so we see God doing these things. Number one, the mighty are broken. Number two, the fallen down are helped up. The greedy are left without anything, but the hungry are full. And not only that, but the barren, she's probably thinking of herself, have more than they had before, and those that had abundant have less than they had before. God's sovereignty has done this. God has worked this out uh, in the world. You know, Paul said at the end of his life in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Paul said God gave me a course. It's not necessarily your course. It's the course of a great missionary. It's the course of an apostle. It's the course of someone who is willing to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. I finished my course. And Paul also, of course, said, I know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. You look at me and say, you, you know, uh, and say, Paul, don't, don't go down to Jerusalem because they're going to beat you and maybe kill you. And he said, what is that to me? I'm ready to die for the Lord Jesus. That's what he wants. I mean, he said, I, this is my course, and God has worked it all out for his good, and I have finished it. It's an amazing statement. And so I'm saying to you folks, you have a course, and God has given it to you. It's not like anybody else's in this room. It's your course, and you are to finish it. And by finishing God's, the course that God gave to you, we'll bring praise to Him. 
Now, I have to say something just to Faith Baptist Church as the pastor of our little congregation of less than a, fewer than 100 people. I wrote it down the first way it came to my mind, and I said, we are a gaggle of catastrophes. <laughs> and I, and I, I don't mean that as in a basket of deplorables. I mean that as, you know, I know you. I know your life. You know mine. It's amazing how in a group of, again, fewer than 100 people, the various trials, tribulations, struggles, challenges that we all have spread out among us much less a church of a thousand or more. I mean, uh, among us, we have, some of you have physical challenges that it's amazing that you overcome them and you do what you do. Some have emotional uh, problems to face deep emotional things that, that you're having to weigh and, and keep straight right now. Some of you are, are taking care of others in a way that, you, that it's almost superhuman. The, the trials and tribulations that one group of people have is just amazing. That's why I call it a gaggle of catastrophes. And yet, it's your course. This is life. This is what God has given all of us. Why we need one another and we need one another's prayers and we need these times together to praise. Why I guard specifically our singing and our praying together and our reading God's word. This is a time that we need. You know, when trials come into your life like this, and all of you have them, I know you, it's not time to sit out. It's not, it's not time to desert and, and to leave the, the congregation of God's people. That's the time to come to the congregation of God's people. That's the time to come for help and receive the encouragement. And that's what we do, I hope, when, when we're together here. So his providential actions are active in your life. Finish your course. Press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Secondly, there are his preservative actions, meaning God preserves us and preserves his will in this world. Now, in verse, beginning in verse 6, and especially in 6 and 7, we have what we call Hebrew parallelism. You're right, you recognize these in the book of Proverbs, for example, where you, you kind of get the opposites or two parallel thoughts together. Let me read them. Verse 6, 7, and the first part of verse 8. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. And then kind of in a conclusion, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. God can preserve you, and he does. He brings death, and he brings life. If you were reading in our Old Testament schedule again, you read, I think it was last night, 2 Kings 5-7, and Naaman the leper, who uh, is sent to Israel to get healing by a little slave girl, Jewish girl that had been taken captive, and she's taken captive, and yet she says, you know what, if you want to be healed, you ought to go see the prophets that's in Israel, he could heal you. So Naaman goes with a letter to the king of Israel, 
This, this is uh, Jehoram, and brings him a letter to the king of Israel, says, I want to be healed. And the king of Israel says, am I God <laughs> to kill and to make alive that thou, this man, wants to be healed of his leprosy? Who am I, God? God's the one that kills and God's the one that makes alive. And here is Hannah saying that's exactly what God can do. God can preserve your life. God can take your life. Those things are all up to him. Someone, someone said, of course, the Christian is invincible until God says your race is done. There's nothing that this life or the powers of this life can do to you uh, until God is done with you. So if you're still here, God is, is still working in you. God still has a plan for you. There's still something for you to do because he decides those things. And I would say not only that, but the, the Christian is predestinated for glory. And you are going to live forever with him, and there is nothing that can change that, nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, life or death or any other thing. Predestinated for glory, and you'll be there forever. So what are a few years here? What are a few more steps in your race here? when you have all of that ahead of you to do. There is always work for you to do, and I hope that we always realize that. And then there's a third thought here that Hannah has um, in his actions, the providential preservative, but thirdly, his creative actions. So notice what she does in the uh, last part of verse 8 with the little word for, or because, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world upon them. She goes back to creation. And she says, the earth is God's, and he created it, and he owns it. That's a pretty good thought to keep in mind, isn't it? It isn't your world. It isn't the president's world. It isn't the United Nations world. It's God's world. Psalm 100, again in verse 3, will say, Know ye that the Lord, He is God, it is He that hath made us, and not we ourselves, we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. It's His. I wrote down this thought, God's a creationist. <laughs> you know, uh, This world doesn't like creationists. If you're an evolutionist, that'd be fine. But the world doesn't like creationists, but I'm sorry, uh, God's a creationist. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Whether you like it or not, that's exactly what it says. And to doubt that is to lose your reason for praise. If you cannot understand that you belong to God, it is he that hath made you. You are his people and the sheep of his pasture. You have no reason to praise. God's a creationist, and you should be too. I remember an old black-and-white TV movie by Jimmy Stewart uh, where he's a farmer, and he's sitting at the table with all of his family around him, and he's going to pray at the beginning of the meal, and he's, he's been out working the farm. And he says, Lord, we plowed this ground, and Lord, we planted this ground, and we tilled it, and Father, we watered it and watched it grow. And then we harvested it. And then we prepared this food. And then he says, so I don't know why we're thankful to you. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
And you know, there are a lot of people who kind of think, think like that. God made the earth that we stand on. God made it with seasons to prepare the soil beginning and during and after harvest. God made the sun to light upon the soil in exactly the right way and the moisture to fall upon it at exactly the right time. He created the seed yielding its fruit after its kind. And all we do is pick it off the face of God's earth and then we don't give God thanks? That was just a movie, by the way. Jimmy Stewart was a good guy. I like him. But uh, uh, I think sometimes we think, or at least we forget, the creative act of God that we can praise him for. And so, thirdly here is Hannah's God in praise. But one other thought, I think, in a conclusion in verses 9 and 10, is Hannah's conclusion in praise, where she says these things. He will keep the feet of his saints. And the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. He'll protect his saints. If you don't think he's protecting you, you just don't know him. You might say, yeah, but I hurt. Yeah, but I, I've got troubles. Yeah, this, this happened to me. He protects his saints. He judges his adversaries. Don't be an adversary of the Lord. Judgment will come. In the end, they will be judged, and they will be judged eternally. And not only that, but he says at the end of verse 10, he will exalt his king because Jesus Christ will reign one day. And he will reign on this earth for a thousand years, and he will reign then forever and ever. And we will be with him. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. So as we think about these things, why, why does it take us so long in life to learn to praise the Lord for all that we are and all that we have and everything that we experience? Why does it take us so long? Why don't we learn these things earlier in life uh, so that we could be better servants of God and praise Him better? Solomon said, remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. The Lord's given us uh, threescore years and ten, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. They're soon cut off and we fly away. And so let's remember the Lord now, today. Let's serve him and praise him. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, Paul said. I saw the word bucolic the other day. You know, the word bucolic means pastoral. I ought to know that word. But pastoral in the, in the sense of sheep and shepherds. And, it, and I, I thought of uh, 
a, a picture that I have seen a couple times that uh, the, the word bucolic is kind of an old English word because of their pastoral uh, heritage there. And there's this picture of during World War II where the bombing and the war and all is going on and, and uh, yet here is England in the midst of all of that and here's a picture of sheep on a hillside and a shepherd. These sheep don't know what's going on in the world. They don't know it's World War II. Uh, but there's this bucolic scene. And, and while the rest of the world is at war, here's a little flock of sheep just going out to pasture to eat what God has given them and a shepherd leading them out to pasture. Some English poet put it this way, the church is lovely for its bucolic setting. The church is lovely for its bucolic setting. Folks, the world is at war. The heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth have set themselves, and the rulers have taken counsel against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break his bands asunder and cast away his cords from us. But the church is lovely in its bucolic setting. We're just sheep of his pasture. We know that he feeds us with his hand, that he walks with us through every trial, that all we have to do is praise him and thank him and do what's next in our life. And he will receive honor and glory and praise forever and ever. Do that in your life and let that peace of God dwell in your heart. Stand now with me if you will. And we'll stand and we will sing a song and have a time of reflection and invitation and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts about these things and Let's ask ourselves and our hearts if we're glorifying and praising God the way that we can and should. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for uh, this prayer of Hannah that we have read this morning. Thank you for reminding us again how we owe you rent to praise you. And if we don't, then we are thieves to rob you of what belongs to you. So, Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, each of us and each person in this room. I know them, Father. We all have our challenges. We all have those things ahead of us, uh, within us, things that we'll have to go back home to today that challenge us. So, Father, bless in each and every situation. Lift us up. Encourage us. Help us to see that we are your servants doing exactly what you've designed and what you want for us to do. May we praise you with our whole heart, with our mouth, and as we gather together as a church. And so, Father, speak to us in the way only you can. Draw us to yourself in the way that we need. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, this